Hello, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. Consumers are increasingly using chatbots and voice assistants to accomplish tasks and answer their questions. But understanding how people interact with bots, whether by voice or by text, is a whole different matter. Dashbot is a bot analytics platform that gives companies a better understanding of user behavior and engagement. Today, CEO and co-founder Artie Merritt joins me to discuss how Dashbot uses analytics to improve user satisfaction. Let's dive in. Thanks for being with us, Artie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to this. So, Artie, tell me, what is Dashbot? So, Dashbot's an analytics platform for conversational interfaces. And when we say that, we really mean anything that could be more text-based, like a Facebook chatbot or web-based chatbot or voice, like Alexa or Google Home. And what was the origin of the company? Why did you get started? So my background is primarily in mobile and in analytics. In fact, I had a mobile analytics company sold to Nokia. So it was a couple of years ago, I was playing around with Slack and realized that analytics were missing. And I was curious what Jesse was up to. I thought well, this could be a neat idea to work on. So I reached out to him just to see what he was up to, if he wanted to grab a coffee. And so I met up with him and I said, hey, what do you think of this idea for analytics for Slack bots, Facebook chatbots? And then he started to smile because come to find out he and Dennis were working on a Slack chatbot. And one of their to-dos was find an analytics platform. Like find, They knew it was missing. So we just started building the thing. And a few weeks later, we launched the first version. So you mentioned Jesse and Dennis, your co-founders. Um, what's your background with with them? How did you get to know them? Uh, so I went to MIT with Jesse. We're actually roommates out here for a while. So I've known him. And geez, it's probably it's well over 20 years because we do the math, getting close to 25 years. So that's how we knew each other. And then he and Dennis uh, were working on this Slack bot together. And so Jesse's background is he had a social gaming company that he sold to the Game Show Network. And then uh, Dennis went to Cornell and uh, had a vintage marketplace that he sold to eBay. So all three of us had some success in the past. So that helped, too. Right. So coming from the mobile analytics world, what was unique about conversational interfaces and what got you interested in that? So for starters, the data is much richer and more actionable than either web or mobile. And so that's what really got, I think, all three of us excited. It's all unstructured data. Users can say or send whatever they want to these devices. They may not respond, but you can do whatever you like. So that, that ends up being quite a bit more actionable. If you had one more user in your mobile app or your website Knowing that in real time, would that matter? Probably not. But in a conversation, if someone was stuck or frustrated in the middle of chatting with your chatbot, if you can identify that in real time, you can actually do something about it. Maybe you do want to put a, a live person in to help lead them through to conversion. So um, that's part of it, yeah. How big is this conversational interface market right now? Um, and how has it changed just over the past few years? So the interesting thing is it's all relatively new. I think that's one of the things that actually helped us. So Facebook opened up in April of 2016, and that's basically when we started. So it's all, it's only a few years old, um, at least these kind of chatbots. So initially there was a lot of interest and maybe hype is the better word in Facebook chatbots. So that was for the first year or so. And then the beginning, of 2017, we started to see more interest in voice. And then that was really popular through the middle of 2017 into, into 18. And what we see now is while there are folks still doing those, and I think voice is the future, there's some things that need to be put in place for brands to monetize in that space. But 
where the interest really is right now is in customer service chatbots, like web-based customer service chatbots. So those kind of things, especially with live agents on the websites, those have been around for a while. It's just for brands and enterprises, that's where we see a lot of opportunity. I think one of the things that's most interesting about your business is it doesn't matter whether it is a Facebook bot or whether it's a Slack integration or whether it's some voice interface, right? You work with all of them. Yeah, definitely. We're Switzerland in this one, right? So we work with any platform and any conversational interface. So you do see voice, uh, Alexa, Google Home related things like that. Uh, all the, the variations of those Facebook style chatbots and WeChat and Line and Telegram and Kick and then web based ones and homegrown ones. And yeah, you see everything. And the data is really fascinating how people use these things and how they're interacting. Um, so it's an interesting position to sit in because you see, we see so much different. So tell us a little bit about how Dashbot actually works. Like what do you do with your customers and how are they using you today? As mentioned, we're an analytics platform for these conversational interfaces. So we enable brands, developers, enterprises to increase engagement, monetization, user satisfaction. It's a little bit about what their use cases are. At a high level, the way it works is a copy of every message in or out from the chatbot or voice skill gets sent to us, and we just take care of the rest. So it's meant to be super easy. And part of the reason for this is there's a lot of additional metadata that's sent in. It's it's unstructured data. If you use, say, Google Home and said, you know, what's the weather? As a developer, that developer gets the raw text, what's the weather, but they also get the intent is check weather, you know, what the context is, the action to take. There's a lot of additional metadata there that's useful to have. And those are the things that we end up reporting on. Using that same example, if you built a chatbot to answer the question, what's the weather, you think that you might think that's all people would say, but then you quickly find they'll ask, is it hot out? Is it raining? Do I need a jacket or an umbrella? There's so many different ways to ask that. You need to look at the analytics to see what's happening. Are, are you giving them the I don't know message back? You're giving them something totally unrelated. Um, so that's where we come in. We can show this is, you know, user said or wrote this in. This is how you responded. You might want to improve those responses. Um, and it goes a bit to what your underlying use case is. is. Is it more to increase engagement? Are you doing customer service and you want more for the user satisfaction? And, and also those are some of the areas where we help. Got it. So this allows developers to, you know, basically provide better answers because First of all, they might have an idea of how people will use their platform, but they don't actually know until it gets put into practice, right? Oh, definitely. So there's a popular pizza company mentioned, but you can order pizza through seven different conversational interfaces. And you would think that they would know how folks order pizza or ask for a pizza. But then when you actually see the analytics, there's all different ways people ask for you know a pizza and the different variations of toppings and all these things. So it's really important to, to look at the data to see you know, what, what are users saying, how are you responding so you can improve that. And that's basically what we do for whether it's developer, brand, or enterprise. We're helping them improve the user experience, right? And hopefully lead into whatever your goal is with that interface. Okay. And so when you talk about the metadata aspect of it, what sort of data are you collecting or are you seeing? Um, are there examples of things that people, consumers might not know they're sharing that actually helps inform the brand or the company you're working with? It depends a little bit on the platform for what the additional metadata is. So if it's a voice scale, like an Alexa or Google Home, in that case, they've caught a raw utterance. Amazon's a little bit different because they actually even hold this information back. But like the message itself that the user said or wrote, you'd get that, you'd get the NLP data around it, which is the intent. What was that? 
you know, that, that message, what did it basically translate into what the context was. So if you said, what's the weather in San Francisco versus what's the weather in New York, um, what action to take, that, that's some of the, the, the information you get there. And then depending on the platform, you might get things like user locale information. In the case of Facebook, you do get some of the profile information, like first and last name, profile photo, gender. You know, it's not the, the full profile. And then in the case of, say, a Facebook or a similar platform, if they're sending in images or audio files, you actually get those too. So there's quite a bit of data. That's why it's all unstructured. You mentioned a few examples. You mentioned commerce. You mentioned customer service, you mentioned brands. Um, can you give a, a few example use cases in each of those categories and maybe some that I didn't mention? Yeah, we, we actually see quite a wide variety. The, even from the, the Facebook chatbots and Alexis type skills in general, a lot of the use cases are very similar to what you'd see in mobile. There are uh, people doing, believe it or not, there's dating ones, there's religious ones, uh, you know, and then you have all the media news and travel and everything else. Uh, where we started focusing a bit more, as I said, on brands and enterprises that are doing something in the customer service space or, or commerce. And there's some overlap there because the commerce is sometimes the pre-post sales, which is basically customer service. So the industries that we look at are like software, um, basically high-tech software, uh, retail, travel, any sort of communications like telecom or like your Comcast kind of companies, and then finance and insurance, because these are the types of folks that are doing stuff there. So I mentioned a few different industries that use Dashbot. How do most customers find out about you? Yeah. So we tried to take a conscious effort to be a thought leader in this space. And this is partly the previous startup I had was a mobile analytics company and we had a competitor pretty much, you know, destroyed us. And I actually thought that what they did on the marketing side was brilliant. And so when we started this, I'm like, you know, I'm going to do some of the same stuff. I learned, I guess, the hard way there. So as I mentioned, we got the first version fairly quickly going. So in, in May of 2016, we launched the first version of the product. We immediately started publishing insight reports and, and data, what we were seeing, how case studies. So how did a, a chatbot, in this case, a Slack chatbot, use our analytics to improve engagement and retention and all those things, right? And then we immediately started hosting monthly meetups. Uh, they started out NSF, we expanded to New York. And then when we were publishing all this data, it got to be the point other people were picking it up and running with it. Uh, VentureBeat, in particular, was basically runs the majority of the stuff that we, we would publish. Um, in addition to all those meetups and writing all the, the reports and sharing data and all, we've hosted uh, two conferences already. We have our third conference coming up. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is most of this stuff becomes inbound. The brands and enterprises and even the startups have heard about us uh, from these efforts. We do also do outreach as well. And we try to participate in other people's communities, whether that's online or offline as well. So it's all goes back to trying to be a thought leader in the space. Right. I think it's really fascinating a lot of the research that you put out. So can you share just some of the more interesting or surprising findings from that research? We get a lot of data on the Facebook side, so at least a little bit more Facebook specific. But do you know the most common message sent to a Facebook chatbot? I don't. It's just hi. So hi and hello. And it kind of makes sense. You start conversations with hi and hello. So people start the chatbot conversations with hi and hello too. Uh, but a significant portion of these don't actually respond. If I remember off the top of my head, about half of them don't respond with an appropriate greeting back. In fact, one time we did a, a meetup here at Samsung and some in the audience said, pull up my Facebook bot, can the panel critique it? So I pulled it up and the very first thing I did just to see if, how it worked is I typed hi and the response was, I don't know, I have no idea what you're asking me. 
So that one was kind of interesting. And then we pulled a bunch of data on the images and all folks send into these Facebook chatbots. And do you know what the most common image someone sends? I have no idea. It turns out it's a selfie. So people were sending selfies, not to other people, but to these chatbots. And because of Facebook, you can separate male versus female. We were looking a little bit deeper and male, you started seeing, they were sending images of motorcycles and cars and vehicles. And then women still skewed pretty heavily to selfies. But then this one tag showed up in the top types of images women sent in and it was electronics. And do you know why? It, any chance? So yeah. it turns out it's when women take selfies in the mirror, the mirror captures the phone and this image recognition services uh, describing that as electronics. So it's pretty interesting. That's fascinating. And just curious, like, what's the context for someone sending a selfie or some other image to a chatbot? That's a strange thing. It turns out, as we talked to some of the developers and brands that had these, folks are treating the chatbots as if they were their friends. So you'd send your friend an image, so let me send this chatbot an image. there was a popular weather chatbot on Facebook for a bit, and they even created personalities around this. First, they were ignoring the images, and then when they saw in the analytics, people were sending a lot of images in. They would come up with a response for it just to make it kind of fun, and that increased engagement for them. Yeah. I wonder how many people are you know, trying to abuse the chatbots in this way. I, I imagine you have a lot of off-color language being thrown at them. What are you seeing from that? Yeah. Standpoint. So there's this uh, it's a women's lingerie brand <laughs> retailer, right? And so we had this thing we we launched a while back that was just they effectively word clouds. It was clustering individual words. And um, the interesting thing is it was a great way to segment the audience because you could see the people that were legitimately shopping for the clothes and then all these other folks that were just trying to abuse the bot just based on the words and all that they were using. There's an enterprise tax software kind of company that they... You can set up alerts in our platform to be notified of different conditions. They set up the alert to be notified of all the profanity. So just all the profanity coming through, they look at. Related to the image one, one of the things that was surprising to me when we pulled those images, I first thought, well, you know, the top image might be something a little bit different than, (laughs) than what I was just mentioning. So it turns out people do send naked selfies to chatbots. Uh, luckily, it's not a lot. It's about 1% or 2% of the images and similarly of the users. But the thing is, when people do it, they do it a lot. So uh, a normal image would be sent to a chatbot just once, basically on average. The average naked selfie is sent in five times. And then there was one person in this one-month period that sent his naked selfie about 266 times. So there's some weird hurdle you must get over where you feel comfortable doing it. You just keep doing it. And, it, it, and it's the chatbots. I, I really am curious what that guy was hoping to get back from a chatbot. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, how does the chatbot respond? In oh, that I instance? didn't look at that one. No. I yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, that's what I say. There was some, some of the companies, what they just would respond with, some sort of response to the image just to give it a personality, you know? Um, like stickers were another thing, like the thumbs up and happy faces and all those. People do communicate in emoticons. And so you go back to that pizza company, when they first integrated with the, their Facebook bot into our analytics, there was drop-off and abandonment all throughout the 
the user's experiences. And so you look at this behavior flow report and like, why, why is there all this drop off and all? And it turns out it was the thumbs up. So these users would get really excited. They're in the middle of ordering their pizza. They do the thumbs up. The company never got the order because it always sort of break the bot. So the company never gets the order. The user obviously never gets their pizza. No, no one had any idea. And they're like, oh, the thumbs up. It wasn't that you're ignoring it. It actually just broke the bot. And the thumbs up is one of the top three messages sent inside Facebook Messenger. Okay. Yeah. So just registering or recognizing that someone's trying to say, okay, that sounds great, yeah. um, would break the bot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in this particular case, that's why we, we often would say to folks, like, you look at the, those messages coming in, the top messages, look at your I don't know or fallback intent or response and see what's triggering that so you can you know, decide whether you want to add support for those things or not. Got it. Um, what's the biggest challenge to adoption? I think, I don't want to sound like egomaniac, but I think we're doing okay on the adoption just because it's, uh, you know, self-serve and it's meant to be fairly easy to integrate and free and all those kind of things. And just the timing of the space, because it's still relatively early, we're not up against, um, like the not invented here syndrome at enterprises yet. Cause it's, it's so early. It, it, I think that the challenges that we're facing is not the initial adoption is now we want to obviously monetize, right? So how do we monetize our platform when this is still an early stage for both brands and developers? And sometimes it's the innovation teams that are developing these things and they don't quite have the budget. So that that's more where our challenge comes in. Got it. Once someone has adopted the platform or is testing it out, how do you ensure successful engagement and uh, keep them coming back? Yeah, so uh, obviously we make use of analytics on our own site too, right? To to see how people are using it. What are the more popular things? Where's uh, drop off occurring? And you know what's the retention and all that? And how can we keep uh, optimizing these things? Um, so it, it is self serve. All you have to do is sign up with the email address, the password. Um, you get a little snippet of code that you put inside your chatbot, and it's just sending a copy of all the messages in or out to us, and it's asynchronous, not blocking, that kind of thing. And then there's a bunch of premium features and functionality that if you're interested in, we're happy to show folks demos and help them out with those things. We're pretty much there to help people. So anyone has any difficulty with either integrating or they want to ask about one of the premium features or they just want a demo or sometimes they just want to know what they should be looking at. One of the things that comes to mind as you talk about all the data that you're collecting in these conversations is just consumer privacy concerns. And I'm curious how you think about that, especially as people are sending in receipts or naked selfies, for instance, making sure that that data exists, you know, solely with the organization or brand that they're sending it to and that it's not in some centralized store where a third party like Dashbot could see it. First, we don't sell or resell anyone's data. It's their data. Everything's encrypted and transcendent at rest. Uh, we're GDPR compliant. We work with some pretty large uh, enterprises on that are doing financial-related things, insurance, and retail that have put us through different security audits that we passed every single one of these things. So it's something that we're quite cautious of. And we understand when someone might have a concern around that. One of the things that we implemented was a way to redact any of the PII before it even hits it. Like if a brand or individual developer is concerned about this, we don't want them to even send the data to us, right? Like don't send it anything that's PII. Um, so there's a flag you can set that'll remove common PII, whether it's first and last name, email address. If by some chance you have a chatbot that someone might actually put a credit card in, like it'll remove those kind of things. So we're very, very cautious of that stuff and we want to make 
uh, both the developers and the enterprise and brands comfortable. So what's one controversial opinion you have that's very strongly held? Um, so I would say just if I bring it into this space, this context, if you look at what happened with web and mobile, when they first the platforms first started taking off, um, a lot of the folks get shaken out. There's a lot of people that start building that, and there's excitement there, and uh, different parts of the ecosystem that get built out, different platforms. And this is the part, it's not meant to be like strongly held or controversial, but it's, it's something just to know in, in the space that it, it's sometimes it's, we were friends with these folks, so it's sad to see, but there's some set of these platforms that we're working with or that are in the space that might not be there in the next year or so. And that's the part of this that um, I guess maybe is a little bit, I don't know, controversial, a little bit on the controversial or I think it's only controversial if you start naming names. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd say I, I'm a. Um, I like cats. Some people okay. like cats. Um, so, if you weren't doing this, what other areas of tech or other areas in general that you would be interested in working on? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think one of the areas that I find fascinating and interesting, and I don't really have much experience in is all the, you know, the driverless cars and all that, that seems pretty exciting, especially at CES. It was interesting to see what those concept cars look like because, you know, you're so used to seeing, you know, this, there's the steering wheel and there's the whole dashboard and all this. And the ones that I saw were basically effectively like boxes, like train car kind of box that people were looking at each other or there might be a table in between. And it was just kind of fascinating. And then, I, you know, I ran into someone where I brought that up. Like, it just looks different. And then I said, well, probably the first time people saw cars without a horse in front of this thing seemed different, too. And it was just kind of interesting. Kind of curious. Are you seeing adoption in the auto space? Because I know that conversational interfaces are slowly making their way into vehicles. But um, right now, it's kind of like you're you know, making requests to your phone, which just happens to be connected via Bluetooth to your car. But is that advancing? Yeah. So uh, there's one of the things that was there was Alexa had the whole Alexa for autos. You know, we see more integrations of Alexa and Google Assistant into different car brands. And then Microsoft is trying to do some form of like a, almost a white label one for them. So for us, the auto industry is huge. That's one of the ones that we go after. And it's for a couple of different things. There's there's obviously the voice inside the car. You know, what are people doing and saying? And how can we, you know, show all the analytics around that? There's the customer service pre and post sale, like folks looking up doing research on a particular car and they want to chat with someone or maybe after you purchase the car, you want to book your repair service, all that through that. That and then the other areas, more of the marketing, um, we do see some of these car manufacturers have Alexa skills or Facebook chatbots that are more or less marketing tools that tell me about this car and what are the features and where can I test drive it? So there's three different areas where we can work with those folks. And that's what we're trying to do with some of them. Got it. How will things be different if Dashbot becomes ubiquitous? Well, hopefully, you know, we're we're doing a lot better, but uh, I think... uh, that would generally mean that all these interfaces, these conversational interfaces have taken off uh, quite a bit more. And hopefully that have translated into just better experiences for, for consumers and your day-to-day life too. If you can get some sort of answer to something relatively easy and quickly or painlessly without having to go through a whole customer service channel, like that could be quite helpful. We're big believers in conversation in general. Like conversation is the future of human computer interaction. If you remember all the videos of two-year-olds swiping the iPhone and the iPad, the same thing happens with devices like Alexa and Google Home. Kids know how to interact with those. So the more 
our stuff takes off, it means that there's more interest and more energy being put into these interfaces, and those are getting better, which will help all of us, whether it's in a, your personal life or work or anything. I think what's interesting to me about this space is just how part of the hype cycle that we went through was partly defined by the fact that the promise of the technology was way further along than what it was actually able to do. And by that, I mean, you know, people were trying to speak to their devices and ask for things and the bot would break or it wouldn't understand, uh, which led to a really bad experience. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it just like if you think of go go back to just when uh, iOS uh, opened up for, for apps, a lot of the apps were kind of the crummy ones or the fart apps people talk about. So that's what you you kind of saw initially with Facebook. It's a lot of these ones that it sounds mean to say, but they're kind of the crummy ones. And so I think on that side, we still haven't quite seen the the greatest user experiences. Uh, voice, you're starting to see some neat stuff. Um, e- even then, it's still really early in this. And it's just hard to build for these. Users can say whatever the heck they want to them. It's hard to know all the different things someone might say and how to respond to it. That's why I often use that weather example. Like you think of something as basic as just boxing it in. What's the weather? But there's all different ways people are going to ask for the weather. Yeah. Since you're the expert and you see all of these bots, what are some of the more interesting or exciting experiences that you've seen deployed? Yeah, there's a company called Volley that makes a lot of games that are pretty interesting, like the more of the voice trivia games that are pretty good. And then I do actually think the pizza delivery one's pretty interesting too, because it's one of the early ones where you actually do commerce. So that's, I think, one of the other promises that's still in the works is will people actually purchase things through these different interfaces? And, you know, some of them are set up a little bit better for that you already have your credit card, you have some kind of an account there to make it a little bit easier. Uh, So that's kind of interesting to see. And then there's one of the enterprise software companies that has customer service chatbots that works with us. It's pretty impressive what they're doing. Um, They want to provide 24-7 support. It's expensive to do that with live agents. So they're trying to make that chatbot as effective as it can be. And we'll one, understand what the user asked uh, and then responding appropriately and then hopefully responding with something that the user's happy with. So there's a couple of different areas to improve and just seeing it over time, how they keep improving that is pretty fascinating. All right. Well, this was great. Thanks for being with us, Artie. Yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks a lot for having me. And thank you for listening to What's Next. We release a new episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Laura Flynn with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time. <laughs>